0: Welcome to the Disaster Tough podcast, where we talk about emergency management by emergency managers. We share stories, lessons, and tips to help keep you moving forward. I am John Scardina, the host. I share my experience as a former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters over the past decade. I now lead a private emergency management firm called Doberman Emergency Management, that focuses on emergency planning, mitigation, and response. This is episode four, part one. We split this up into two sections because there was so much great information from our interview with Cameron. Make sure you check it out. Let's jump in. All right, so today we're going to be talking with Cam Starratt, one of my really good friends. Uh, We worked together when I was on the National IMAT West. He was a AmeriCorps team member, a volunteer group. You can talk more about that later. We've known each other for, I think, about three years now. Uh, We've had a lot of fun experiences, multiple disasters together, and he moved on to bigger and better things with the Peace Corps, so he's going to be talking about that as well. He has a crazy experience about how he came home, You might have seen that in our blog post that he wrote about for Doberman Emergency Management. So let's jump in this. Hey, Cameron, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How about you? I'm really happy to be here.
0: Good. That's great. Yeah, we're doing pretty good. Uh, We're surviving the pandemic. So, you know, we're just getting through that. Good. Happy to hear it. Yeah. How's uh, How's your end doing? You're in Ohio, right?
1: I'm in Ohio right now. Yep. I am with my parents because I was evacuated from my Peace Corps post. So... Yep, we're just getting by here in Ohio.
0: I mean, what a crazy experience that was, right? I mean Yeah,
1: it was it was pretty nuts. Yeah.
0: All right. Let's let's hold off that teaser because okay. that's gonna be probably the climax of this conversation. It's pretty nuts. Uh, right. how about you just talk to me about I mean, you've had multiple volunteer programs now, right? Like you've you've really dedicated your life towards helping others. What got you into AmeriCorps? Was it any special reason or just kind of volunteer lab and then how did that transition to Peace Corps.
1: Right, so I think it's important to understand w- at what time I applied to AmeriCorps. Uh, well, I it 7 was... 7 p.m.? Yes, it was seven thirty <laughs> at night. I was I full it. of pizza and I, you know, I wasn't <laughs> thinking straight. So, what was going on was I was, I just finished my last semester in college. It was the f- winter of 2016. So, Kind of the the climate in the world, and especially around me, was really divided. There's a lot of bad things going on. We just finished a really ugly presidential election um, all over the news. And, and in my classes in college, I was seeing, you know, there was, the refugee crisis was going on in Europe and the Middle East, uh-huh. And after seeing all of this, I knew that I wanted to be part of the solution, but maybe not the solution, but at least a, a part of the good that comes uh, during this time. So what actually was my first idea was to apply to the Peace Corps. Uh, mm. However, they said no. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. and uh, so I applied to the Peace Corps and this AmeriCorps program, uh, FEMA Corps, and I did not get into the Peace Corps and I got into Amer- the AmeriCorps program. And I was accepted as a team leader. Actually, you demoted me. But uh, so, That's yeah, funny. so I yeah. served the year, the year <laughs> as, a, as an AmeriCorps I mean, team leader.
0: You were still, still head of the pack, for sure. For that, for that group, uh, for those who don't know, AmeriCorps brings in, I mean, all walks of life. You're talking about yeah. highly educated college college graduates. Like, you were a college graduate at the time, right?
1: Yeah, it, my team especially was really was it was a really wide range of experience. We had one guy That's who yes, we had one guy who you know was eighteen years old, never packed a lunch. We had another guy that served for years as an EMT. On other teams there were people with a GIS master's degree. There were people in the uh-huh. Georgetown Emergency Management Program. Uh, we it was really from all over the place, and but the one thing that everybody had in common was they wanted to be. Uh, A part of this program to help others.
0: Yeah. So, uh, did you know what you were getting into? Like when you were like, "Oh, I want to help people." Like I applied. What was your level of understanding, like pre-deployment, if that's what you want to call it? And at the end, is it what you thought you were going to get into?
1: Well, I I lucked out. Um, I had a friend that did the exact program uh, about a year or two prior to me. So she informed me that it was a lot of work behind desks and that I really didn't have a big problem with that. But that's a good point that you bring (laughs) up because, yeah, I was fine with me. Uh, it's a good point you bring up because a lot of people in the program were, they were, they were more looking for more hands-on, um, experiences, but, but no, I, I pretty much got what I expected, um, in terms of the scope of the work. However, I did not know that I was getting into, in the leadership role, and uh, mm. so I, I learned a lot, and, you know, it was a humbling experience for sure.
0: Well, we beat you up quite a bit. Yep. <laughs> Do you remember the advice that I gave uh, the, the AmeriCorps members when they first came in?
1: Uh, the one, the thing, uh, I probably don't remember the one you're, you're thinking of. I remember yeah. another one. I'm though. playing
0: guess what's in my head right now. Yeah.
1: I, I remember a different one. You, you, okay, I'll go first. Okay. Yeah. The one... The, <laughs> this is going to be the, pretty bad. The, the thing you told... No, it was, no, this is a good one. Uh, you told me... Okay, no, this is actually a story. Let me back it up. Okay. So I, I had a question for you. You were teaching me GIS, and wow. I asked you how to do something. And then you stood behind my desk, and you said, open Internet Explorer. Oh, so my God. I, did <laughs> I remember this. And then you said, click the URL bar. I said, okay. And then you said, type G... <laughs> and then type O, and uh, and basically you were teaching me that the best thing that you could teach teach me is to how to teach myself. So you wanted me to leave there knowing how to educate myself rather than yeah. um, other people showing me, you know, what to do.
0: Well, there's a balance, right? Because if it, there it got to a point of frustration or you really couldn't find the answer after you've looked, mm-hmm. that's when that's when it's like a really good teaching moment to say, okay, let's sit down, let's work this through together. Mm -hmm. But I often find that we all do it, I do it too. Like I just want the answer now, instead of like teaching myself, and it's hard to retain that information. So that was really funny typing in Google, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yep. Speaking of that 18 year old, Mount Sinai, I believe is his nickname, (laughs) Sahand, yeah. Uh, Yep, Sahand. Yeah, Um, yeah. The I remember so many times, I mean, I loved the kid, and yeah. quite frankly, a couple years later, he reached out to me, and so we talked, and I mean, he's grown up so much. But as an 18-year-old kid behind a desk, not really knowing what you're getting into service, I would walk over to his desk, and I would stand behind him for like five minutes while he's watching these um, Spongebob Things. And then when he thought I was, it could have him, been
1: SpongeBob. He was 18. Well, maybe, I don't know. I mean, you and never pretty, know. Maybe it was SpongeBob.
0: I'm pretty sure it was SpongeBob. But he would like switch. He would switch away really quick from YouTube, and like right. he would think like I literally like, just like walked up there. I was like, like he's fooling dude, somebody. I've been standing right. here for five minutes. <laughs> but it really came down to uh, his strengths and his maturity like skyrocketed.
1: Yeah, he um, had a good. He had he 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 had a really good sense for he 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 was able to put himself in other people's shoes very well and he was he was able to read me as a leader really well and he, he knew what i wanted without me um articulating it
0: to have really good situational awareness and to be like socially aware and to like have these things it helps you out a lot mm-hmm. and uh i remember in um, I was I was deployed, or I was sent to Washington to work with those guys up there for GIS, and the flooding happened in the the Midwest. That was your first technically de- your deployment, right?
1: Yes, you, yeah, yeah. I was. At, we were. Yeah, the team was on steady state, but we were. You were supporting actively. The disaster. Report. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No, no, really experience in GIS, and I was what a thousand miles away. And it was you, Brian, and Sahand, right? That were having to go full steam. Yeah. Well, as I'm saying this, you just mentioned that somebody had a master's degree in GIS. Was that Melody?
1: No, uh, that was another guy on a different team. That, those were some oh, other people on other thank teams. Thank goodness. I'm I the, felt... the whole. No, no, no. The, of, the program of a, of a whole. I think we had about 200 core members on that campus Got at the time, and, yeah. Got it.
0: I still remember uh, just backing up a little bit. I remember Rodney interviewing you guys. Remember, you came over, and um, yes. we interviewed each of the team leads, and it was pretty abundantly clear. Uh, it was people- yeah,
1: it was it was pretty informal though. You know, we were all just kind of sitting, hanging. The way we we weren't told we were being interviewed. You know, it was no. Yeah, it was a lot of the yeah. The, a lot of the playing team came over, and I yeah.
0: Well, you're always interviewing people in a sense, right? right? And yeah, and really, it was just a, uh, a conversation. That's how Rodney works, right? He's the most nonchalant. Mm-hmm. Some somehow he's so laid back and yet he's the most professional leader I've ever worked for.
1: Yeah,
0: the guy's just—he's a beast. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's bring it back to you though, because we've had so many fun experiences. Yeah, uh, that deployment with the the um, the floods in the Midwest—you got me my first FEMA um, award. That. <laughs> You have I it. have it around. I have. It. I oh, saw dude. it the other day. It's, I, I, you should feel I proud of it. it.
1: It's around here somewhere.
0: Well, thanks for being, uh, you know, so the advice, right? So this is what's all looking into. The thing I told AmeriCorps first is if you come in there humble and you do whatever, ever, whatever people ask, as long as it's legal and ethical and blah, 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 you'll get to wherever you want in the program. And that was so, that was so like real, especially with you because you yeah. had no GIS background, you're a team lead. And so your, your focus was supposed to be on everybody else. I didn't like that. Uh, mostly because I thought you were too talented to leave you just managing without learning skills. Um, and so we, we, we applied that methodology and I mean, you really excelled, right? I kept on telling people that you were my right hand man in hurricane Harvey. Or that you were the gatekeeper. Remember that the gatekeeper.
1: I do. Yeah, it That was, that was a wild ride, Hurricane Harvey. Oh my RV. gosh, Hurricane Harvey.
0: Yeah. I've probably talked about that already on multiple episodes. It's
1: just like... um, but yeah, but on what you were saying with the program, it was yeah. You're right. It's very much what you make it. You know, it's absolutely as as most things are. But it, that program specifically, as a program that people can get into out of college, where, you know. It, as a 22 year old, it's pretty tough to get a job in something that you to be, you know, fully employed to the degree that you would like Um, that program, especially is, is very, if you're hungry, you can really come out of it with something.
0: That's a good, that's a good way to look at it. Um, There was a group after you um, where she wasn't a team lead, but she was a similar caliber. There was a girl named Sarah. I think that was her name. Yeah, it was her name, Sarah. And she was so annoyed that uh, everybody said, you're never going to be better than Cameron in tr- terms of John's perspective. Because I just thought, I was like, okay, this, this guy nailed it. Like, you came on there, you were humble, you did the work, you, you learned a lot, and, and you pushed really hard, and so I was able to trust you. And so she fought so hard. Like, all she wanted to hear the entire time, she was with us for a while too, was, I'm your favorite now. I'm your favorite and I never, I never let her. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny, but you know, yeah. One and only yeah. Cameron Stare.
1: Hey, you know, we do what we can.
0: All right. So I'm going to ask you some pretty serious questions and you All can right. answer them seriously or not. Uh, so here's some questions. What did you learn from your service and what were the major highlights?
1: Well, uh, I learned mostly from AmeriCorps learned mostly leadership. I learned a lot of technical skills. I learned a lot of soft skills from you and from Rodney and and stuff like that. But the real humbling experience was leading people in difficult situations. Um, And you had a
0: a tough one there at the end.
1: Yeah, I had to... There was a lot of tough judgments that I had to make by the end of it. Um, But for me, the things that I the things that i learned was that i really needed to slow things down and when i need to make a big decision um if when an emergency manager you can't really you can't always slow the clock down but i could at least slow my head down you know I like that. if so if i need to take 60 seconds and you know not talk for a second that's something that i feel comfortable doing now and i understand that i need to um and then just yeah just a lot of leadership stuff um things like when you're to, to me, leadership, a lot of it is trying to get someone to do something they don't want to do. Oh my you gosh, that's unfo- so true. Uh, unfortunately, that's yeah. a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and you you really have to be able to put yourself in other people's positions. And if someone just genuinely doesn't want to do something, you kind of have to start with why you would want them to do it and always ask and never tell. And this, this these things are kind of weedsy, but it was a lot of leadership is what I learned. Um, there was a good one where... At Hurricane Harvey there's another FEMA Corps member pretty smart guy um, he was assigned to GIS but he wasn't on my team he was assigned, to G- assigned a GIS so I was kind of supervising him and redhead he, he yes exactly like- and he didn't and he didn't like GIS um, And my attitude towards that situation was he wasn't doing G- he didn't like GIS he wasn't doing that good of a job And I, I was, I was thinking tough. Like you, you, like you weren't, you're here to serve. You're not here to do what you like to do. Um, so, so I, uh, for everyone listening on at home, John is pointing to his disaster tough t shirt. It's a great shirt.
0: It's a great podcast. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, so I, you know, I was pretty negative about it. I thought I was like, what the heck? This guy, this guy's being lazy. He's not, he's here to volunteer. But what Rodney told me was, people who are unhappy doing the work do bad work. So let's just put him somewhere else where he's gonna do good work and we'll we'll figure it out to fill that gap. And I did not really understand that until, I probably, I had to digest it for a few months for sure, Um, but.
0: Yeah, it's a tough one because it's a balancing act, right?
1: Everything is, yeah.
0: Yeah, I have a, you know, I have a kid and soon to be two which I'm very excited about. Yes. More Scardinas in the world. Uh, (laughs) And I talked to other parents and when other kids don't want to do things, they're like, well, they don't want to do it. And so they don't make them do it. And I do think it's important to learn in life. Like you have to do things you don't want to do. Not everything should be fun. But at the same time, in terms of a work setting, yeah, you, you have to balance that with they're just going to do poor work. If they don't have the yeah. work ethic to to push through it, I like being tough.
1: I like just, yeah. just plowing through. But yeah, not everybody. It can definitely motivates that. me as well. And I've I've I came to I think I, during Harvey, I I came to you with an issue, and I remember you saying like this. It's I appreciate you bringing this up to me, but it's not going to get any better. Like this is, mm. it was I think it was just about the pace and the I remember nature that. We and were, the pressure, well, and you were like, it's not getting any better. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, even if you slacked off, that the stress—I want not say slack off—but even if you like had taken a, a decompressor, you know, whatever that is, whether it's time or different mm-hmm. unit or whatever, we were there to save people's lives in a sense. Where you know we were supporting the state's uh, initiatives, and you know that's just yeah. how it is in a disaster. Um, I liked what you did say when you said, "Hey, you're a volunteer, right?" So you, you learned those lessons and we could talk about Rodney in a second because he is a legend and, uh, he heard the first episode where I called him that and he was like, whoa, pump the brakes. I was like, no way, man, you're, you're the goat to like, but, uh, if you already knew that and you knew like that mentality of, okay, I'm a volunteer, even if I don't like it, I got to do it. What drove you to still want to do the the peace corps? You had that fulfillment and at least in probably in some sense of volunteering.
1: Yeah. um, When I applied the first time to the Peace Corps, I didn't really understand what it was. I didn't understand what it was like to really volunteer for an extended period of time and to like sacrifice for something else. So when I was applying the first time, I wanted to be a Peace Corps volunteer. Uh And when I applied the second time, I wanted to serve. You know what I mean? I really wanted. Yeah, I wanted to, you know, the first time I wanted to say I was a Peace Corps volunteer, I wanted like the
0: the status, the yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, yeah. I threatened
1: to say glamour, but it is not glamorous. (laughs) glamorous, (laughs) So, so, but my time, my first eleven months of service in FEMA Corps really honed in and focused my um, desire to do that.
0: Yeah, I remember us, man. I was still at IMAT West when you were deployed, and I'd be walking on those long walks around the block and talking talking to you about that experience and i remember you talking a lot about the people um and the the living conditions and everything else that was going on i mean to do something like that i've done something like similar too, where i spent two years in japan helping people and if you don't have the mentality of i'm doing this for the right reason it's hard to get through
1: Yeah, I found that if you don't, you you don't, if you don't have that mentality, you don't get through it. I I have good friends that I, yeah, and and I'm not trying, like, there's nothing wrong with not doing the Peace Corps. Um, It's, you know, it's not for everybody, but I knew people that wanted to join the Peace Corps to have the story to tell and to, you know, maybe to get non-competitive eligibility or something along those lines. And it's just, it's just impossible. So lame, yeah. you just, you, just, you just can't do it. Like it, it's Yeah, it's just impossible to do it unless you really, really want it.
0: In, in some ways, then, the Peace Corps turning you down the first time was probably the best thing that ever happened to you.
1: Yeah, I was absolutely not ready to serve in the Peace Corps in 2016. I was also applying to a sustainable agriculture system. Um, <laughs> yeah. Kind of random. Yeah, I, I am not a farmer. No, <laughs> no, no, I don't know anything about that. And, uh, yeah, so it was, and I, yeah, it was interesting, actually, I, I, it was a agriculture system pr- uh, position in Panama, so mm-hmm. I actually re, I interviewed again with this for the same thing, and I ended up doing a different program, but, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, you're right, I was not ready at that point, and fem- doing the FEMA core in between was Huge. an important part,
0: yeah. There is no substitute than learning directly from Rodney. Yeah. I took the position on the National I'm at West into geospatial intelligence or whatever because I wanted to work for Rodney. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned about him in my master's program and the things he did and my professors talked about him so much and he did uh allude to retiring and so I was like before this guy's retires, I wanna be able to to work for him. Yeah. And uh, you know, the additional bonus of being on the National I'm at West, now National I'm at Red. Uh, was huge, and I remember going into his office. I was probably, I was probably there about six months, and <laughs> telling Rodney that he had b- bamboozled me. Because really? yeah, because when he uh, hired me, he said yeah we only deploy twenty two days a year, and I was like cool huh. cool. And then when I joined the team, he was out that first week, and Dana and Patrick Kevin. They were all sitting there, Andy, uh, I don't know if you hadn't. I know hadn't, the name, I heard it a you know. times, yeah. Uh, yeah, all these people were just talking about how they deploy all the time. And I was like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and so we went to his, I went to his office and we were talking about that. And I, I was having a ball with the deployments and it turned out my wife was really okay with it. But uh, I said, hey, you bamboozled me here. You know, I keep on getting deployed. And uh, he basically told me, he goes, yeah, I did. I bamboozled you. He's like, but I wanted you on the team, and I knew this was good for you, and I knew that uh, this was good for your environment, the environment for you to be in. And I learned very quickly that he was an excellent uh, judge of character. Right. Right. So uh, yeah, that that was something that came into my mind as we were talking. Absolutely. He helped you out with the Peace Corps too, right? Because he served in the Peace Corps.
1: Yeah, he served in... Oof. Uh, early. He served maybe in the 80s in Kenya. 1880s, yeah. Yeah, he served in the 1880s in Kenya. And, uh, yeah, he wrote me a great letter of recommendation. Uh, I, I think both of my letters of recommendation were from our PCVs, But, mm. no, right. He And he also helped. He, he, he Him serving in the Peace Corps, definitely influenced my decision to reapply as well. Yeah, I, I just following this, his example.
0: We would go into the, the break room and you guys would be talking in there and I'm like, oh, they're talking about the Peace Corps again. <laughs> yeah, But he has crazy stories and uh, he knew you'd do good. You
1: know? Yeah, there were times where I would sit with him in that office or go to Jersey Mike's with him for a criminal amount of time yes <laughs> and, and, and not necessarily work and just like kind of it was a brain work brain meeting work lunch. absolutely at jersey mike's That's and I... uh and uh yeah i would try and get everything i could from from his brain whether it was about emergency management or just people or politics or anything
0: yeah uh how did so? If you had all that experience with Rodney and the team and service, what would be your big takeaways then from like Peace Corps? Like during that, during that, what well, you're oh, you almost two years, right?
1: Uh, a little bit over 25 months. Oh, I think.
0: big man on campus. Yeah. yeah.
1: Hey, you know, so, it was supposed to be 27, but you know, Corona.
0: Yeah, freaking Corona. corona. I, I promise I will not name my kid. Quarantino or Quarantina, whatever it's called.
1: I will believe it when I see it. Yeah.
0: Come here, Rona. Um, <laughs> so, what's Peace Corps life like? For those who don't know, I mean, outside of volunteering and helping out essentially people right. in impoverished areas.
1: Yeah, I was, I probably heard of the Peace Corps at first from just like popular culture in the U.S. You kind of hear the name a lot in movies and TV and stuff like that. Uh, Eric Foreman from that 70s show went to the Peace Corps, I believe. Oh. So, yeah, I think, where, <laughs> I think that's what what the word. Planted a seed in your I'm mind. Doing. Right. Um, but, no, the my life was... Um, I lived in a small rural village in the interior of Panama. Um, there was one road. There was no electricity. There was... The, the the running water was... It was just a PVC pipe that would just fire water down it for two hours a day. Um, otherwise, the, there was one spot in the community with cell phone reception. The kind of the environment around me was, it was all, it, of course, it all used to be a jungle, but um, with the development of the country, there's been a lot of deforestation for, um, they, they raise a lot of cattle down there. Uh-huh. So they cut out, cut down the trees and plant uh, cow grass, cow grass. So that's sad. Um, yeah. That's, you know, that's why I was there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so they cut down a lot of the jungle down there, and now it's a lot of just... It's it's becoming a desert because of just there's no water retention. It's getting drier with climate change. And um, culturally speaking, they want this clean cow paddock just with cow grass, no trees, nothing, just... Grass and soils eroding, there's no water, it's you know, it's rough. Interesting. But, uh, sounds like you're a farmer. Communi- uh, yeah, hey, you know, Peace Corps was a people job. I could have done that farming thing, yeah. all right? It's yeah. it's not brain surgery. Uh, Jeez, so, tell uh, that to the farmers.
0: What
1: a shit. <laughs> so, the people in my community were extremely welcoming, and thinking about it in uh, with the scope of American involvement in Panama, we invaded Panama in um, eighty nine, I believe. And not one time that I hear about that from a Panamanian person. You know, n- uh-huh. it was you know it was a pretty ugly situation down there when we when American troops were in Panama, but. Everybody was so happy to see me, and everybody wanted to practice English with me. And I'm t- I'm saying everybody in the country wanted to <laughs> hang out kind and take different. photos. I. I. Yeah. Yeah. You, and you know what I mean. Be uh, just people going up and asking you to take photos of you and things like that. Um, Can I ask of course, you? you know, anywhere in the world, there's you know some jerk cab driver that wants to tell you about how nine eleven's a hoax. Yeah. But, you know, you can find that in Chicago. Unfortunately,
0: so can I ask you a question, yeah. question based off of. Uh, so I had this experience where my hair color obviously changes with the sun. In Japan, right. they call it gold. Your hair is gold, so the kids will, when they see it glisten in the sun or like change, you know, like that, like that blonde color, they try yeah. to grab the hair on your arm. Did they, you know, they're going no. to look like they didn't do that. No, yeah. I've
1: never had that. We What we did get was a lot of, um. what was different was blue eyes. I don't have blue eyes, but a lot of my friends did, and people would say their eyes are clear, and they were, a lot of people were really um, awestruck by that. Huh. But, uh, but yeah, um, the I lived in a little house. It was about the size of a shed. It was... Uh, Thirteen feet by eleven feet, I believe. Jeez. It was made of it was made of uh, wooden planks and sheet metal. Uh, I had a dog. What was the dog's she name? She was great. The dog's name was Osita. It means bear cub in Spanish. Um, otherwise, like throughout my days, I would, I would work in the school a lot, um, doing science lessons, doing English lessons, doing you know anti-bullying workshops and things like that. Uh, I would eat a lot of rice, and sometimes I would go to other schools and work there. I'd do we did these youth development workshops where we'd go to middle schools and kind of camp out there for four days and teach all the middle schoolers about academic planning and resource identification for their futures, um, and then also uh, like reproductive health and things like that. It's
0: amazing. So you worked a lot with children. It sounds like yeah. Um,
1: uh-huh. That's that's where I. That I did that, and I did an appropriate technology um, project, but I really th- felt the gratification and proud of the work I did with the kids.
0: Yeah, is there a particular kid that stood out to you?
1: Yeah, uh, I had a couple of kids in different middle schools just innocently, and you know, be very vulnerable when it comes to ask when it came. To asking questions in front of their peers that they that they knew were kids were gonna tease them for it, but I thought it was there was a lot of like really brave kids that were willing to um, kind of ask silly questions and you know now they know though
0: so. yeah uh, yeah there's a story there's a story of a couple in China who were trying to have a kid for four years you know that one yeah you oh told me to it back then
1: yeah now you have to tell it
0: uh, yeah so there was there was a couple who Kind of like uh, the situation where Cam might've uh, gone in and teach when their children about, uh, you know, reproductive, the reproductive process. They didn't really have that education. And so they got married and they were trying yeah. to do things right. Um, you know, have a kid, have the family, the whole deal, but they couldn't have a kid and so they saved up for, you know, these poor, literally poor people, but also just poor souls, right? Trying to do things right. Uh, They went to their doctor and they found out they were, the location was the wrong location for four years. The joke is that he knew and she didn't. (laughs) Uh, Smith's
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's more common than you think. Um, Reason being it's that a lot of, not that story specifically, (laughs) but people being, people being uh, ill-informed, reason being is that a lot of these schools don't want that type of education in their um, in their classrooms just culturally.
0: I mean you can you can really speak to that because a lot of people here have an opinion one way or the other. But you've yeah. seen the impact. I yes. mean at least in an educational perspective. Yeah, it
1: was totally in my in my community specifically the women were either studying in the provincial capital or they were in the community raising a family at very young ages, like 18, 20, 21 with, you know, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, something like that. And the difference was couldn't be more stark. Yeah. And, um, that being said, the, the, uh, the populations of these rural communities are getting smaller definitely.
0: Yeah. There's, um, there's something to be said about having children younger. I'm not talking about as a child, but I'm talking about like that 20, 21 year old, uh, mm-hmm. who has kid because it is a big sacrifice, but man, I have friends who are my age who have like 10, 15 year old kids and they're like, yeah, uh, we're going to be empty nesters at like 40. I'm like, man, <laughs> right? that sounds so nice. So there's, <laughs> there's a give and take for yep. sure. But, yep. um, yeah, that, that, that's really interesting. I, we should talk later about that specific talk topic and, yep. and what you learned from there. Um, Okay, so you had this Peace Corps experience, you were out there doing all these projects, working with children, and then, you know, the bomb drops, right? Coronavirus. How did you hear about coronavirus? I mean, if you had no cell phone reception, no electricity,
1: what was your understanding?